and welcome to the Pediatric Anesthesia Journal's Featured Article of the Month podcast for July 2021. These monthly podcasts are published on the journal's website and you can also subscribe to them via iTunes, Google Podcasts and Podbean. My name is Dr Sumit Das and I'm one of the journal's education editors. This month's featured article is entitled Incidents of Post-Induction Hypoxemia in Children and the Effect of Induction Gas Composition. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome one of the authors of this article, Dr. Paul Baker, who's a pediatric anesthesiologist at the Starship Children's Hospital in Auckland, New Zealand. Welcome to this podcast and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Sumit, for this opportunity to talk to you about our paper. Before I start, I would like to acknowledge my co-authors, Dr. David Kuman and Professor Brian Anderson. Thank you. Paul, can I start by asking what prompted you and your colleagues to write this article? Well, this study really came about following a discussion between uh, the authors about the effectiveness of an inhalation induction of anesthesia for children at minimizing hypoxemia during subsequent airway management. We know that most practice guidelines promote pre-oxygenation and apneic oxygenation techniques during airway management. But these guidelines are primarily written for adults receiving intravenous inductions of anesthesia. They do not necessarily consider a child having an inhalation induction of anesthesia. We, We already know that the overall incidence of hypoxemia during pediatric anesthesia is approximately 6%. And we know that this is higher in neonates, infants, and children with a high ASA score. We also know that the inhaled gas used to um, anesthetize a child can include other components as well as the oxygen and the volatile agent. And these can include nitrous oxide and air, for example. Uh, but little is known about the optimum mix of inhalation gases used for pre-oxygenation to reduce the likelihood of hypoxia after induction of anesthesia. So this, this question is what led to our study. Thank you. Can you just explain the concept of apnea time uh, and the value of pre-oxygenation in children? Well, the, the concept of apnea time, uh, some people describe as the duration of apnea without desaturation. Clinically, this is the safe time during which airway management can be performed without oxygen desaturation and hypoxemia. There are known variables that can affect this time. Um, First, there are patient factors, including the ASA score, which may reflect pre-existing morbidity, such as cardiac disease, renal disease, and severe anemia. There are also lung physiology issues. Um, There are factors such as the functional residual capacity, which is reduced in obese, pregnant, and young children. Second, the technique of pre-oxygenation itself can influence the apnea time. If the inspired oxygen concentration is reduced, peak inspiratory flow rate can be a variable, airway pressure like CPAP and PEEP, The position of the patient, uh, if they're sitting up or lying uh, flat, supine, the presence of a tight-fitting face mask uh, can influence the apnea time, and the duration of pre-oxygenation itself. So if it's one, two, or three minutes, for example, 
you mentioned the value of pre-oxygenation. This is age dependent and Jonathan Hardman studied this a few years ago using the Nottingham Physiology Simulator. So using virtual patients, his group examined the onset of hypoxemia following three minutes of pre-oxygenation in four virtual age groups, including one month, one year, eight years and 18 years. And they found that the duration of apnea without desaturation were two, four, six, and eight minutes uh, respectively for those different age groups. So there is a value for pre-oxygenation in children, but apneic oxygenation is particularly helpful in young children who have that shorter apnea time and in sick children. And in fact, any patient where airway management is likely to be difficult or prolonged. Thank you. And can you just briefly explain how you conducted this study? The study was conducted using Safer Sleep records. Safer Sleep is an automated information management system used at our hospital. And it's been used by the hospital for decades. And as, as a result, we've got probably hundreds of thousands of patient records in the database. So it's an ideal resource for um, doing audits such as ours. These records were used to find out the incidence of hypoxemia. Hypoxemia was defined as a saturation less than 90% sustained for two minutes, 120 seconds. So we chose a particularly long interval of 120 seconds because we know from a previous study that the incidence of artifact when measuring pulse oximeter results can be as high as 35%. And that artifact could be caused by movement of the fingers or the probe dropping off and being reconnected. Uh, so we thought by using a long interval of two minutes, we would eliminate a lot of those artifacts. Episodes of hypoxemia were recorded in the 10 minute interval after a three minute induction period. And the, the end of that three minute period was where we uh, took our recordings after a suitable wash-in period. Severity of hypoxemia included the incidence itself, the length of time and the area under the curve. Nitrous oxide and oxygen concentrations were recorded and nitrogen concentration was deduced by adding nitrous oxide oxygen and then nitrogen adding up to 100%. We also considered the patient's sex, age and ASA status as covariance. Our study in, in our study, we analyzed 27,256 cases of children from newborn to 18 years old. The overall incidence of hypoxemia following the inhalation induction was 5.08%. And controlling for sex, ASA and age, hypoxemia incidence increased uh, 1.2 times if the inspired oxygen concentration fell below 60% and 2.37% if it fell below 40%. And interestingly, that's exactly the interval where historically we've been using nitrous oxide with oxygen in a two to one ratio. There was no clear benefit or effect of nitrous oxide or nitrogen when factored into our model. Okay, you, you gave a few numbers there. So in a nutshell, how big a problem would you say hypoxemia is during inhalational induction? Well, in short, it's, it's a relatively common problem. 
we found the incidence of 5% in patients uh, who experience hypoxemia during this time as our base or late. But of course, if you, as, as I've already discussed, if you decrease the FiO2 below 60%, that percentage climbs. In most cases, this is well managed and with appropriate treatment, there's no problem. But it can also lead as a hallmark of more serious problems. I'll just digress for a second. There was a multi-center study, the PD study, and this is one of many studies, but this was a study of 1,018 children with difficult tracheal intubations. It was conducted in the US and published in Lancet Respiratory Medicine in 2016. In that study, 64% of the children had an inhalation induction. The most common non-severe outcome was hypoxemia, and that was at 9%. The most common severe outcome was cardiac arrest at 2%. And all of those cardiac arrests were preceded by hypoxemia. Only 10% of the patients received supplemental oxygen during their intubation. So although uh, little periods of hypoxemia are well managed, if it's uncontrolled and continues, it can lead to cardiac arrest and potentially death. Thank you. What's what's your view on the value of using nitrous oxide? And would you say that the second gas effect is still a worthwhile pursuit? The primary outcome of our study was an overall incidence of 5% hypoxemia, and that was really the main thrust of our study. We wanted to know more about hypoxemia and the effectiveness of an inhalation induction effectively pre-oxygenating. Of course, nitrous oxide is often used in an inhalation induction. Um, and there are certain benefits of doing that, but most of us learned right at the beginning about things like the second gas effect. So that's due to the solubility, high solubility of nitrous oxide, which gets taken up by the circulation, leaving effectively a vacuum behind it for the second gas, which is the volatile agent, and in our case, sevoflurane, to be taken up more rapidly. So using nitrous oxide can lead to a more rapid induction of anesthesia. As I've already uh, mentioned, our study suggested that you can use this safely, uh, provided you give at least 60% oxygen in your mix. Okay, let, let me change it slightly then and ask if you would advise altering the gas mixture for an inhalational induction if you have a patient with a known difficult airway. Well, I just want to emphasize that this study was primarily designed to examine hypoxemia. However, we did recognize the benefit of the nitrous oxide. And since our finding was that if more than 60% oxygen is used, it will maintain that basal 5% hypoxemia level. So I had been using nitrous oxide myself in a 40% concentration to enhance the onset of unconsciousness. And I do this in um, all of my patients now, but that's just my personal preference based on the findings of our study. Uh, that's what I do. I'm not advocating that necessarily for other people, but I find it a useful adjunct to my induction technique. The so culmination of a single breath vital capacity is another thing some people use, and it can result in a very rapid inhalation induction. Following the successful induction of anesthesia, which may take only a minute or two, I adjust my gas concentrations by turning off the nitrous oxide and I turn to 100% oxygen leading up to the airway management. 
And I now know that using 40% nitrous oxide during the induction of anesthesia will not adversely affect my airway management. Um, and the details of that benefit deserve further investigation, but from what we found, it, it is not harmful. It is surprising that the well-known two to one ratio, two being the nitrous, one being the oxygen, which has been around for decades, has remained in use without question for a long time. This came about, we think, probably in the 1950s, but of course the use of nitrous dates back uh, into the 1800s. Uh, but of course, when those ratios were prescribed, there was no pulse oximetry and no monitoring of hypoxia. So people didn't really know whether their patients had hypoxia at the time. Thank you so much, Dr. Baker. That's been a very interesting discussion. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to chat and we look forward to more contributions from you and your team. And thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to present our paper. I hope these findings stimulate more research and improvements in patient care. That wraps up our featured article of the month podcast for July 2021. This article will be available for free on the journal's website shortly. Uh, please follow us on Twitter on at PD Anesthesia and please do join us for next month's featured article of the month. Until then, cheers.